Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Before we jump in today, I want to tell you about my self-coaching course, which will help working moms in high-stress jobs overcome self-doubt, rumination, and worry so that you can finally enjoy your career, feel confident, and find balance. I created this course about a year ago now, and it has helped so many women who are trying so hard to be good at their jobs and to be the best mom they can be and are just struggling um, because they think that they're not good enough at either job. And the best thing about this course is that it's totally self-paced. The videos are short and sweet, and there's tons of activities to go along with, and you can pick and choose the ones that are going to help you the most for where you're struggling right now. You will get lifetime access to the course, including any updates or anything I add in the future, and the ability to email me for email coaching for the first 30 days of your subscription. You will learn simple, actionable solutions for overcoming self-doubt. You will develop genuine and lasting confidence no matter what happens at work or how crazy your kids behave in public. And you will gain the skills to leave work at work so you can feel balanced and stop dreading your work days. So check that course out at kristenyatesdo.com forward slash course. Let's jump into today's episode. Rebecca Lauderdale is a board certified internal medicine doctor and fellow of the American College of Physicians. She started her practice of medicine as a hospitalist and after nine years uh, experienced severe burnout. She made a major career shift to practice outpatient primary care, internal medicine, focusing on patients with high-risk chronic disease. She also has served many leadership positions and is currently serving in her second term on the board of Hattiesburg Clinic, which is an honor achieved through election by over a 300-partner group. She also is a fellow podcaster with a podcast called Women Physicians Flourish, which focuses on teaching the skills and concepts required for not just eliminating burnout, but achieving true flourishing. Rebecca, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm great. I am good. So when the topic of imposter syndrome comes up, what comes to your mind from your past or your present? Oh, uh, well, a lot, definitely a lot in my past. Um, I, I have, um, I'm, I'm in my 15th year of practice since residency. I'm an internal medicine doctor in primary care. And I can remember, gosh, probably the first, most of the first decade, um, a large part of the first decade and a lot of medical school and residency um, I had imposter syndrome, but I, I wouldn't necessarily have known to call it that or recognized it as such. Um, you know how those those thoughts get in your mind and they're there and you 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 may not even consciously acknowledge them. Um, but there's the the fear, you know, in residency, especially. And now, you know, my my heart goes out to those <laughs> those PGY ones right now who just started mm-hmm. um, yeah. July 1st and that feeling of having responsibility and being afraid that you're not up to the challenge, that something has happened and you've, you've snuck through and, and nobody knows it, but you're incompetent, mm-hmm. um, you know, despite all the evidence to the contrary. So um, yeah, lots and lots of experiences like that. And then sort of, as I came into, um, into practice after residency, uh, 
I spent most of that first decade as a hospitalist. And so, and I'm not at an academic medical center. So a lot of things, um, a lot of, a lot of the responsibility was mine in, in caring for my patients. And especially in those first few years, um, I had, I had good partners who were there that I could run things by, but there's, um, you know, there's always that fear. Am I asking too many questions? Do I know, do I not know enough? Is there, um, is there a problem that I don't know everything that I need to know to care for this patient and that I'm having to ask questions or that I'm having to look it up. Um, so a lot of that got tangled up, um, with other, you know, kind of in inner critical chatter, um, the inner critic, um, Mm -hmm. that, that sort of became overwhelming to me, um, at a point in that first 10 years of practice and really was a major part of why I experienced burnout. I think was that, that, that critical set of critical voices that just got out of control. Yeah. I had a similar experience for sure. So much of what I, um, after I, after I graduated from residency, the voice in my head, like the inner critic was just Mm -hmm. so deafening. And I think many physicians struggle with this. And so few of us talk about it. So a couple of things I want to highlight on the things you have said. The first is the mentioning of imposter syndrome as a resident, because I think um, certainly that was my experience. And everyone, I think every single person who has come on the podcast has mentioned that as a high time for imposter syndrome. And I think it's important to highlight um, this this, the external part of residency where we're there to learn. And so we don't know everything. And that's obviously why we're in residency and the, the, in contrast to the internal voice, which is basically saying, you don't really belong here. You'll maybe even saying you'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to, to learn all of these things. Um, so what was your experience with that? Like externally, your program, like expectations, and then the, the voice telling you that you really didn't belong. There, there were duty hours restrictions during part of my residency. Um, and there was a lot of what felt like lip service paid to, to regulations or to not, not the, not that my program didn't abide by the regulations they did they were very they were very strict that we abide by them but the idea was um behind it sort of implied sometimes explicitly stated by some attendings that you know really that we just weren't getting the education we needed if we weren't spending all that time in the hospital and we weren't you know sacrificing our entire lives for our residency mm-hmm. and um and then there were and then there's this, you know, this internal voice that's saying, um, well, there, you know, there's conflicting internal messages. Um, you know, the, the one part that says, I, you know, I've got to go by the rules. I've got to do what these people expect me to do. And it doesn't matter um, how I'm feeling. It doesn't matter how tired I am. It doesn't matter um, how, um little time I've spent with my kids, <laughs> you know, I, I have to meet these expectations or else, you know, and there's always, or else that what, what did I really think would happen? Um, there's always that, 
that big bad thing that hangs over you that maybe is a little vague and nondescript, but feels huge. Um, but I remember, um, I remember in one of our noon conferences, they, um, they had talked a little about wellness. There wasn't a lot there wasn't a lot of material on, on wellness, well-being, or nobody talked about burnout at all then. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was, um, there was a, like a sleepiness scale, I think, or a a sleep deprivation scale that we all filled out. And I remember I I scored near, near the highest on the scale. I had an infant um, when I, I had a baby, when I was an intern and I had an, a three-year-old when she was born. Um, so I had two very young children. So I, I didn't, I didn't get a lot of sleep when I was home. And, um, and then there was, you know, being on call some months every third night. And I remember thinking that, I, you know, I raised my hand, they had us raise our hands, um, based on what, you know, kind of what range our scores were. And it was, it was just kind of like a joke. It was like something to laugh at, like, Oh my gosh, your score was the highest. And Mm then, and, and what's implied after that is, wow, you really should do something about that. (laughs) And that it's no one else's responsibility um, to do anything about it, but mine. And I don't have the skills to do anything about that because I have to fulfill um, their, their expectations. And so it felt like um, it felt like an impossible thing to do. And there were yeah. that, that, that inner voice, the inner chatter that happens. One of those characteristics of, of your inner critic can be the, like the, the, the one, two punch, the, where, where <laughs> you have, um, you get shamed by your inner critic for one thing, and then you get shamed for the opposite thing too. And you can't ever yeah. really, you can't satisfy it. Yeah. And I, I, that happened all the time for me in my mind, but it never, um, I wasn't conscious that that was happening. I just realized, I just recognized that there seemed to be a lot of expectations that I just couldn't meet. Yeah. Yeah. And that I'm sure leads to the feeling of overwhelm or depression or anxiety or worry or so many other things, frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of us, Um, a lot of us doctors spending a lot of our time studying and and paying into details. And so one of the ways that that was, that uh, that was expressed for me was responding to these inner critical voices would drive me to try to be perfect, you know, Mm -hmm. to, so that, you know, don't sleep, spend time making sure you understand this or, um, make those notes like pristine when Mm -hmm. they don't have to be pristine, (laughs) you know, Um, or, you know, do every, every little thing you can think of, study everything, make sure nobody can ask you a question that you don't know the answer to Mm -hmm. and, and feeling like anything short of that was just unacceptable. Yeah. And no, you know, we all know by this point in our careers that it's not possible. It's not sustainable. It's not human. Right. Yeah. I think you bring up a great point that we as physicians, and I'm sure many other people experience this, that we over try to overcome this voice, this inner critic by, uh, by trying to achieve perfection instead of what actually works is number one, 
recognizing that the voice has nothing to do with your value. And number two, mm-hmm. accepting who you are as a human being with all your imperfections. And if we all just leaned a little bit more heavily on accepting ourselves and being curious about that voice that came up instead of believing it, we'd be in a better place, I think. Absolutely. I completely, 100% agree with you. Yeah. And I, I, I went through, so I spent relentless, critical, internal dialogue Mm -hmm. and eventually did go through a pretty severe episode of burnout, uh, you know, in my kind of seventh, eighth year of practice. And um, it wasn't all, I certainly don't want to imply that it was all my doing. It was nor that it was something that, um, that couldn't have been avoided, but I didn't have the skills, Mm -hmm. you know, like I just didn't know. I didn't know what I needed to know. So I, I became convinced that there had to be people out there in the world who knew how to, how to deal with this, (laughs) you know, who knew what to do if you feel so miserable inside your own head. Mm -hmm. And uh, the conclusion that that I ultimately came to after um, digging and scrambling and trying to find people who were, who were wiser than I was to figure out why um, or, or how, how to live without this relentlessly critical voice in my head, how to be happy, how to, Mm -hmm. and how to live a flourishing life that what, what everyone says is, and it sounds like a cliche, but is you have to, you have to love yourself. You have to accept yourself. Mm -hmm. And that, um, that requires that you, you understand that perfectionism is harmful to you Mm -hmm. and that you're human and humans make mistakes. Humans aren't perfect. And just to reframe um, the, your mindset and your expectations and see, see mistakes and see failure as learning. Um, But that can be really hard to do in a profession like medicine where there are Mm -hmm. really high stakes Um, and there aren't always, um, procedures in place that help you when you make mistakes, um, that don't also shame you, you know? And so even if, even if you don't make a big mistake, you see what happens to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, and so then you fear that, and it becomes part of that, that critical, that loop that goes on in your, in your head. Exactly. And really perfectionism is just fear. And I think so many of us think that, oh, I'm a perfectionist and it, and it's such a great thing. But in reality, when you have perfectionist tendencies is because you're afraid of something, you're afraid of failure or judgment or humiliation or shame. And I think that one very powerful thing, way to use perfection is when you have those feelings, like I need this to be perfect. It's a really good thing to use, to clue you in about what am I afraid of right now? And getting, you know, using it as a way to get to the limiting belief and then question that. Right. I, yeah, that's a really good point. And I, um, I think that being, being aware of what's going on with you, mm-hmm. stopping and taking time to pay attention, to realize, oh, I'm in the middle of like a, some kind of perfection storm right now. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be a reason for it. it. Just the simple awareness of it 
it seems, um, you know, when you first start to practice things like that, it, you, it seems almost unbelievable that just paying attention can make such a, such a difference, Mm -hmm. but it, it really, it really can just the awareness, just the awareness, the awareness of that inner critic, the awareness of, um, the actions that you're taking, um, can start to change everything. Um, but I, again, I think it's, it's difficult, um, to convince physicians or residents or, um, leaders in medicine that, that we need the, a pace that allows us to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's when we're learning, especially, uh, we need a pace that allows us to, to pay attention. Um, and as we get better, you can notice things even in crisis situations, but, um, in the beginning, it can be difficult. So I think Mm -hmm. that just makes it, um, it makes it that much less likely that you will, that you'll, you'll discover that as an option for you, unless, Mm -hmm. unless someone helps you to see how beneficial it is and, and helps you to see ways that you can build it in. Exactly. Yeah. I want to go back to something you brought up at the beginning about evidence, because I think this is very common. Mm -hmm. Like we're constantly, especially earlier in our careers thinking like, I don't have enough evidence yet to prove that I am a good enough doctor or smart enough or whatever else. And I think it's important to highlight this because one question that we never ask ourselves is, but how much is enough evidence? Like how many, you know, patients do I need to see, or how many surgeries of this type of surgery do I need to perform Mm -hmm. before it's enough evidence? And the reason why I think this is so important is because there's no number. When you really ask yourself that you'll realize that I will never feel like there's enough evidence when you're stuck in this place from the inner critic being in charge, right? It's never going to be enough. And I think when you can realize that like, oh, this is, this is never going to be satisfied in me. Then you become aware that it's just about a decision that you make. And that's the power. You just decide that I, I, this is enough right now and I'm going to continue getting better. Exactly. Exactly. And um, just, just knowing that um, I think it it also helps to, to think about, uh, you know, other people, um, other people that, you know, and that you look up to and realizing that their experience level may be different than yours. Their journey has been different than yours. Um, Not, not that I'm promoting comparison (laughs) because Mm -hmm. that can get into really dangerous territory, but sometimes it can, it can be helpful just to take perspective to realize that, you know, that person that I'm working with has a decade on me, you know, or two decades on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and also that we have, even within our own specialties, we have strengths in different areas, right? you know? Um, and, and so while I may be just like really up on my endocrinology, <laughs> um, my partner down the hall might not be so adept at that right now, but, but she's really got the ortho stuff down and we see a mm-hmm. lot of that in our clinic. And so we, we can help each other. And it's not that, um, it's not that we're deficient. Um, it's, it's that our experience is different. Our interests are different. And we, we certainly all have proficiencies we need to have, but um, we're different. Our strengths mm-hmm. are different. And just understanding that we are, we are a different person 
than the people around us right. uh, can be really powerful. Yeah. Right. And we're not meant to go it alone. I think that for yeah. the reason we're bred as physicians to think that it's a one, it's like a one, you know, like we do it by ourselves or we're supposed to practice by ourselves independently. When in reality, the best care that patients get is when there's collaboration. Absolutely. Um, and a good team of physicians. Absolutely. So- um, I, uh, when I had that experience of burnout back in the kind of, I guess, early 20 teens, um, what really got me through and helped me not to just get to a baseline again, but to really start to flourish and just li- live in a way I didn't really think was possible, um, in such a positive way was that I found, some really wonderful people who went through that with me. We learned together um, Mm -hmm. how to be vulnerable. And we learned about, you know, the things that we're talking about today, perfectionism and how, how dangerous it can be to us and dealing with our inner critics and learning how to be empathic with one another. And I just see that so many of my women physician friends that I know, you know, in real life, don't have a strong friendship support system. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, that's a piece that a lot of us are missing. Um, And it can be the difference between burnout and flourishing. And, and when, when we can have camaraderie with our, with our partners and colleagues, um, it can, we're just happier at work and we and we provide better patient care. Um, we grow faster. And so that's, that's something that's really important to me to emphasize and kind of get out and provide opportunities for women physicians to have friendships and relationships yeah. with one another so that they have a network of support. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. It's such an important aspect and um, something that I think we need to work on as a, as a collective, instead of comparing, um, really using each other to lean on and to lift up. Um, I want to end on this one, on one other thing that you said that I thought was, um, really important, which is this, this focus on knowing. So we think Mm -hmm. as physicians that it's all about how much we know, and we have all this knowledge. There's so much, there's so much knowledge and medicine is changing every day. And, so many physicians think that what makes us good is how much knowledge we have. And I want to challenge that a little bit because being a physician, so much more of the intangibles, we'll call it, right? Than the knowledge that we think we have to learn. And sure, it's important to be up to date on the evidence, but um, maybe if you got like one more hour of sleep, and you were able to be in a patient's room and just listen to them or pay attention to their body language or let them cry a little bit, like those things, I would venture to guess what matter way more to a patient sitting in front of you than that you read the latest article in JAMA or whatever. And I think that that's not something that we rarely talk about is what actually makes a physician, an impactful and compassionate physician has less to do with how much knowledge we have and more to do with our ability to be present with another human being in an exam room. 
Absolutely. I can say um, for sure from my own personal experience, and I know that there's um, there's there's good evidence out there in literature to back this up, but when I when I started to prioritize my own well-being, I started to see the people in front of me as more human again. Mm-hmm. And you know, part of burnout is that depersonalization aspect where you start to kind of see your patients as your enemies. Mm-hmm. It was a really awful place to be. And getting away from that and and like you said, resting, taking time away allows you to be more human. And that allows you to see the people in that chair next to you as human or in the bed as human. And people who make those sorts of connections with their physicians, trust their care more. Mm -hmm. They participate in their care more. Um, and, And they, you know, from a business standpoint, they come back to see you. Mm-hmm. And they tell their friends and their family about you too. So it's also good for business. Um, right. But absolutely. I, I think um, there's just, um, there's not really um, any way to argue that, that exhaustion, that keeping exhaustion as a status symbol <laughs> yeah. is healthy for, for any of us doctors. Right. Right. Um, Rebecca, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I appreciate your time and Mm -hmm. I have, I will leave a link to your podcast because I'm sure that my listeners would be really interested in checking out that as well. Thank you so much. Yeah. Have a good one. Uh, You too.